Welcome to Fringe with Benefits. They sometimes call me Crazy Stacy. Almost six whole feet of intelligent hot mess. They call me all kinds of things. Some things are bad and some things are good. But here I am your podcast host, your newscaster, ponderer of things, your wayward guide to all things odd, ugly, and beautifully wonderful. Bringing you a quick intro before I say... I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Okay, our social medias. We have the Fringe with Benefits Facebook page. We received a ton of new followers last week, and it was super great to see that number triple, so thank you a lot. Inward Survival's Facebook page, the nonprofit has nothing but optimistic content and wellness posts. So if you're looking for high vibrational stuff on your journey to being a better human, go there and like it. My Facebook fan page is at Stacy Leo Sorio, all things naked and afraid and about my personal journey and my life. My Twitter is at Stacy Fringe. I love to interact on Twitter, so follow the show's page and I'll follow you back from my personal page at Stacy Fringe, like I said. My Instagram is at golden underscore Valkyrie underscore. And I've been enjoying, I have been enjoying being on Instagram a lot more lately. So you can easily find me there. YouTube is at golden Valkyrification. I have been boycotting YouTube because of their bad behavior, but you can and should subscribe there because I'll be back when things change back to a free and reasonable platform. And there is some content there. Rumble is Golden Valkyrie. I love Rumble. It's a great platform, and I suggest everyone go support it and start your own channel. BitChute, Golden Valkyrie is the channel. I don't have anything up there yet, but I value this platform for the content I like to view, so go check it out. Parlay is at Golden Valkyrie. Miwi is Stacy McCauley. Gab is Golden underscore Valkyrie. Find me. Telegram channel, Fringe with Benefits Telegram is wonderful. And if you would like to learn more about topics that are banned, then this is the place. Subscribe to my channel, Fringe with Benefits. Mines is Golden Valkyrie. And so, yeah, there is a platform called Mines, and I am Golden Valkyrie there. For ways to donate to the nonprofit and my personal blog, go visit inwardsurvival.com. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go give me a rating and review. Everyone knows I love five stars, but I'll take what I can get. The more ratings and reviews, the more the podcast is seen and, su- and suggested. So let's help it grow. Share the show. Little disclaimer, I am not for everyone, and some people may be repulsed by my thoughts and chosen content. I will say that each time. Fringe with Benefits Anchor homepage. You can go there and you click the support the show button, and there are options to subscribe and to help the show do better and make me want to do the show even more so. Thank you to our subscribers. The monthly subscribers make me super happy, happy as a clam. So thank you for the support. I really appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Accountability segment here. Here we are, another week of shitstorm 2020. How's everyone faring out there? Being brave? I hope so. Staying productive here, uh, next week is going to be insanely hectic, so I will be skipping the podcast, but if you're subscribed, then you'll know when I upload again, and I will be keeping an eye out for sure for insightful news about our world to bring to you in a week or so. I am totally realizing more and more that people are starting to see the truth about things, the beginning of this whole thing, well, you know, pretty much my entire adult life pretty much worried me, you know, what was on the horizon for us, according to our history, was not good. 
and it almost feels like everything, like a game, has been thrown into the air and all the pieces are suspended. That was the analogy that my boyfriend gave me about how he feels about life, and <laughs> and I totally relate to that. So it, the world is very much like that, it seems. But people are seeing the truth. People are starting to accept it, and, and it's just it's like a, a domino effect. I feel a little more at ease with the pieces up in suspension for some reason, because at least somebody fucking threw the board. And I really wanted to say that there are some real heroic people out there trying to warn and console people who have never considered that people we put in place to govern aspects of society are out there trying to harm us and our children. And if you're still questioning whether or not to trust our government, I hope that I've given you some extra insight into the the hell to the no we can't. It's pretty much it for the accountability segment. I don't really have anything to apologize for, but in our next segment, we're going to talk about something that I have to answer for. So hold tight. Time for Stacy's socials. Okay. So <laughs> last night, okay, actually totally got to get this podcast out of the way or at least get as much recording as I can get done because I will be recording with a fellow digital soldier perhaps. She I'm not really sure. Oh, she's out of like a uh, Northern California. Her name is Ashley. She runs Into the River podcast. Check her out. A truther. So, that's the content. That's what we're going to talk about. What the fuck is going on? But for Stacy Socials today, I just wanted to mention that because this is going to come out and you're going to be looking for something else to listen to because I'm not going to be here next week. So you can check that out. I hope it goes well. I'm kind of nervous. Down to Stacy Socials. Besides the Category 5 tornadoes in Wuhan, has you have you guys seen the footage of what the fuck? They don't normally have tornadoes. And they, they got some big, scary-looking tornadoes and they are in crisis right now. Wuhan, China. I didn't even have a chance to put that in Stacy's socials, but I wanted to make mention of that in case you hadn't heard of it. You should go see what you can find. I know YouTube has a lot of footage up. I'm sure there's stuff everywhere. I wanted to talk about some hate mail I got on Instagram. It was the first time I received, like, real hate mail on Instagram. So this is pretty fun. Okay, for first I want to say that I usually do not give any attention to the haters, but I'd like to address this and give him the award for being the first. It must mean I'm doing something right. But the content, let's go over this. Uh, Simon Brown, 1972, I think, he, I think he resides in the UK. He mentioned me in a comment, and so he must have shared this post of me, Jake, and Clarence from Naked and Afraid Season 2, XL. He said, just catching up on this in London, UK, appalled to watch Clarence be abused to his face and behind his back by two people who thought they were superior to him and judged him as less from the get-go. However, it was beautiful to witness Clarence's kindness, authenticity, and generosity in the face of his, this adversity and despite not being supported by his teammates. I hope... They who lacked the traits he possesses have since taken the opportunity to check themselves and the reasons they harbored such strong negative reactions. They never harbored these reactions about new teammates whose skills they hardly witnessed. 
and were confident in slurring Clarence behind his back among each other to new people. It was not a good look, and the notable difference between them all and Clarence was color. He never did anything to elicit such strong negative reactions. I hope Jake and Stacy have checked themselves since then. He said, wow, well, this is on my, my picture. These have been deleted because that's just, this is gross. He says, wow, you and Jake were truly despicable. The way you mistreated and ganged up on, okay, well, let me first address the first, the first comment. He does have wonderful traits. Clarence has some wonderful traits. He is very authentic and he's a very sweet and wonderful guy. You did not see what we experienced out there. You only see a small snippet of thousands of hours of footage of an experience that Discovery Channel decides to tell you the story to. By all means, it was pretty accurate. We did not slander or slur Clarence behind his back. We told him to his face, you should drink more water and you should eat more fish. And there were times in which he would not participate in the catching of fish and other activities. And it was very difficult for those first six days. And so when you have a teammate that in some, in some ways, because of whatever reason, are not able to pick up the slack, there are certain feelings that you'll have because you'll want them to do more. You see their shortcomings and you see what's going to happen in the future if they don't buy, you know, for example, drink more water. It may not have been a good look. I did yell at Clarence. He really pissed me off. I'm not going to share totally why because that's all between us, but no hard feelings. So anyways, Let's go to the next one. He said, wow, you and Jake were truly despicable the way you mistreated, ganged up, and showed no support to Clarence. You were especially abusive to him, slurred him to other participants who you had just met behind his back. No, we didn't. Everybody had met Clarence before. Everybody knew him before. He was nothing but kind. Absolutely, he was nothing but kind. What was the difference between him and the others that caused you to be so abusive? I know what it is. It's obvious to me. I hope you've checked yourself. Ain't no time for racism. Racism is spelt wrong in 2021. Subconscious racism. What the fuck is this? Really? We didn't treat him different. That didn't happen. And then he continued to leave me messages on my picture. I, when I told him, did you go to Clarence's page and show him some love since you, you know, you really appreciate him? And he said, I did. And he appreciated it. Hashtag racist. <laughs> it's cool, dude. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But I was there. Clarence was there. And you probably shouldn't even bring up Jake because Jake didn't even say anything to him. You know, when you're out there, part of what you sign up for is that you're interviewed after a day's worth of work. You're interviewed at the ending of every day. And they want to know what happened. And I'm honest. I will tell the truth. If I'm frustrated with somebody or if I'm frustrated with a situation, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm not going to treat anybody different or because people might think that I am being racist. So that now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's move on to our weekly news. I don't really like sharing NPR.org, but we are going to talk about this article it's something they released, and whenever I look at mainstream media and I see what their headline is and what they're trying to convey, I wonder why. I wonder what's the purpose of this, because it doesn't really go along with their narrative, But I, so I, I usually read it, 
and see what they say. It's titled, William Bill Shakespeare, the second Briton to receive a COVID-19 vaccine, has died. May 26th, 2021. He was the second person to ever receive the COVID-19 vaccination. Had to have been a while ago. That was December 8th. He got it. Second person in the country to get it. He died last Thursday. He had a stroke, and his wife said that her husband was so grateful to have been one of the first people in the world to be vaccinated against the virus. It was something he was hugely proud of, she said. He loved seeing the media coverage and a positive difference he was able to make in the lives of so many. He often talked to people about it and would always encourage everyone to get their vaccine whenever he could. So super activist about it. So they celebrate his life a little bit in this article, and his wife says that Bill will always be remembered for many things, including a taste for mischief. So I guess he was a really fun and sweet guy, and he leaves behind a family who loved him very much. Let's look at what a stroke is. A stroke occurs when the blood supply to the part of your brain is interrupted or reduced, preventing brain tissue from getting oxygen and nutrients. Brain cells begin to die in minutes. A stroke is a medical emergency and prompt treatment is crucial. There are three types, ischemic stroke, hemorrhagic stroke, and a transient ischemic attack mini stroke. Let's look at an ischemic stroke because I don't know what kind of stroke he had. This happens when blood flow to an artery that supplies oxygen-rich blood to the brain becomes blocked. Blood clots often cause the blockages that lead to these type of strokes. Hemorrhagic stroke. I had a friend that that happened to. She was walking to school when we were in elementary school and she passed away walking to school just like that. So that's a hemorrhagic stroke, but I guarantee you he had a blood clot stroke. I can't verify that, folks, but that is what my intuition is telling me. So I thought that that was interesting, how they could just put it out there. Hey, this old guy got a stroke. He just, he was the first to get the vaccine, especially with all this blood clot shit. You know, everybody's talking about that. Next thing I thought was fucking weird is Facebook will no longer remove posts claiming COVID is human-made. You Are you fucking kidding me? So now they're like, well, Biden's, you know, putting intelligence on the fact that it could have come from a lab. Are you fucking kidding me? You've been censoring us, those of us who said it was human-made to begin with, and it was intentionally released. This leak bullshit and all these weird little stories they keep putting out. Let's look at this one, Axios.com. This says, why it matters. The lifting of the ban reflects a reinvigorated debate on the origins of the pandemic. A reinvigorated debate. Why didn't we have the debate this whole time? This is following a Wall Street Journal report that three researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology were hospitalized in November 2019 after falling ill. We knew this. President Biden has asked the U.S. intelligence community to step up efforts to investigate the origins of the coronavirus and provide a report within 90 days. The big picture. Biden administration officials and others criticized an investigation by a team of scientists assembled by the World Health Organization and China's government that returned inconclusive findings on the pandemic's origins. Of course they did. And really, the Biden administration officials really give a shit about this? Why do they? Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra called for a transparent, science-based follow-up investigation during a World Health Assembly meeting on Tuesday. 
In light of ongoing investigations to the origin of COVID-19 and in consultation with public health health experts, we will no longer remove the claim that COVID-19 is man-made from our apps, a Facebook spokesperson said. They're in deep shit, man. Have you guys been keeping an eye on that? Because I have. Next. I asked myself the same question about this article, and I did a little bit of research on elevator deaths because it was an, it's it's fucking scary. You know, it's something you hear about and your brain instantly thinks about it. And remember we talked about the fact that when they release crazy stories like this and a bunch of people see it, for some reason, the occurrence of these crazy things increase. That's some wild shit. But anyways, let's remember this girl who was in an elevator in China, teen, just an itty bitty, and this elevator freaking shoots up 30 floors with her trapped inside. Now that's the headline. Let's see if it's accurate. It malfunctioned, shot up 30 floors. This was Sunday night um, in a coastal city in the province of Guangdong. I hope I said that right. Guangdong. I don't know. She was trapped inside the elevator between the first floor and the basement level first. The maintenance worker was attempting to manually open the elevator doors and the car suddenly flew upward and traveled 30 floors until it struck the top of the elevator shaft. He was actively trying to get her out in this thing freaking. Why wasn't the electricity turned off? Why didn't they, you know, why didn't they turn the power off to the elevator? Why would it just shoot the fuck up? Then they get her out. They don't talk about how they get the elevator down after it just flung up and struck the top of the elevator shaft. She was freed an hour later. She was taken to the hospital and she was pronounced dead. He's um, the engineer who is affiliated in this with this incident. Um, the Equipment Inspection and Research Institute. He said incidents where elevators shoot to the top floor are quite common, but it's not often they result in injury or death. What? And it says that the government office said a task force was formed to investigate the incident, which is believed to have occurred following a malfunction in the elevator's braking mechanism. The victim was a high school student who was one week away from taking her national college exams. They don't mention her name. Very sad. And very, very scary for people that have to be in big buildings with crazy-ass elevators. Next, I'd like to revisit a story that came out of Omaha. Last year, he was... He killed a guy who was a child molester. This guy was actively hunting children, total predator. And this guy... He claims that while he was searching for a a new residence, he came upon this dude. We'll talk about it. And he decided to go get his gun and come back and, and just put an end to it. And then when they were, you know, publicizing that this man was shot in his doorway, he confessed on the news Facebook page. This is 43-year-old James Fairbanks. He was, he killed 64-year-old Matteo Condalucci. He was a convicted sex offender in North Omaha. And James Fairbanks was booked into Douglas County Corrections. So on Monday, May 18th, a comment was left on the Omaha Scanner Facebook page by Fairbanks claiming to have killed Condalucci. He also anonymously emailed confessions to other media outlets. This scumbag in 1994 was convicted of an attempted lewd or lascivious assault upon a kid in Florida. 
In 2007, he was convicted of sexual assault of a child in Sarp County. Fairbanks begins his posts. Let's just, let's just read his open letter, shall we? Dear media, I'm writing this email to let you know that I killed Matteo Condalucci Thursday, May 14th, around 9.45 p.m. While out apartment searching and checking neighborhoods I wanted to live in, I stumbled across his sex offender registry info. I read where he had molested, raped two children, and been convicted twice, yet only serving two years in prison for raping children. I seen his address and was right around the block from where I was looking to move. I drove by, and to my horror, he was standing in his driveway pretending to wash his truck, no soap or water, just a rag, while staring at a group of children playing in the street. I watched him for a few minutes, and I felt sick to my stomach. He just kept staring at them. The kids thankfully left, and he went inside. I went to the driveway and noticed, to my amazement, that this twice-convicted sex offender had a playground set in his backyard. No fence, just a slide and a playhouse. I felt sick to my stomach. Having my own experience with these type of predators, I knew the damage he would do to those kids. It agonized me for days. I couldn't sleep. I researched, researched him more and more and found he had victimized dozens of kids on, in different states. One kid's mother had created a predator Facebook page about him trying to warn people about him. Her son had been assaulted by him when he was five, and the damage he did led the poor guy to a, die of a drug overdose years later, and his mom directly blamed that incident on Condalucci. I've worked with kids for years who have been victimized, and I couldn't, in good conscience, allow him to do it to anyone else while I had the means to stop him. I'm willing to turn myself in, even though I am confident I wouldn't be caught because it's my, in my opinion that we need this to fix our society. We cannot let this continue to happen to our children. They must be stopped. I know in this messed up judicial si system, that means I will face far more severe punishment for stopping him than he did for raping kids, but I could no longer do nothing. If you need proof, and then it's blurred out. You can see the article, it's linked below. Anyways, I... I saw this whole thing unfold on Facebook last year, and I ended up writing him in Douglas County, and I corresponded with him a little bit, and I am a part of the page to support him, and I have exchanged conversation with the woman he's referring to whose son um, killed himself with drugs after a lifetime of trying to cope with being raped as a child. So it does do lifelong damage, and there is good news Okay, so vigilante won't fight murder charges. This just came out last month. This vigilante won't fight murder charge for shooting sex offender seven times. Fairbanks and his attorney, Steve Leffler, contemplated a self-defense claim up until minutes before the 44-year-old man pleaded no contest Thursday to a second-degree murder and gun charge. They said that Condalucci had charged the armed Fairbanks after he showed up at his house. So James showed up to this dude's house with a gun, and he's like, you better not fucking touch any more kids. And this guy charged him, I guess. That's what the story is. This prosecutor, this piece of shit, Brenda Beadle, chief deputy Douglas County attorney, called the self-defense assertion comical. She noted that Condalucci had no idea that the gunmen would come to his door the night of May 14th and had not had any prior contact nor conflict with Fairbanks. They frickin' said that Fairbanks was hunting sex offenders with a rifle he had bought earlier that day, year. So they're running some kind of narrative that this guy was, you know, on a good one wanting to do this. So his defense attorney, Leffler, he, he disputed the prosecutor's suggestion 
saying they were jumping to conclusions. I totally agree. And that this case does involve elements of self-defense, even though his client ultimately decided to plead no contest. This is what Fairbanks said happened. Fairbanks went to Condolucci's door, was surprised and was surprised when Condolucci had an alarm system, met him at the threshold. Fairbanks pointed the weapon at him, who backed up several feet. Fairbanks told Condolucci that he had children and was moving into the neighborhood, and that Condolucci better not mess with any of the neighborhood kids. Fairbanks paused when he spotted he mistakenly thought was a purse out of his concern that a woman might be in the house. Condolucci rushed towards Fairbanks. Fairbanks whipped the rifle's barrel at him. Oh, he had a rifle. I didn't know that. I just imagine that he had like a 45 or something. Fairbanks whipped his rifle barrel at him, closing his eyes and pulling the trigger seven times, or several times. Condolucci fell to the ground, his head at Fairbanks' feet. He said he did not go over there with the intent to kill Condolucci. He went there with the intent to warn him. I can't believe Dude went up to his front door with a freaking rifle. Man, to be a fly on the wall, right? So this guy, this Condolucci guy, had kids. His daughter claimed that he was raping her and that he was a danger to society and she's glad that Fairbanks killed him. Well, in the courtroom, his son, Joe, was there and he he said that his dad was a big man and a tough dad, but not irredeemable. His dad had lived off disability payments and ran a food ministry for the poor. Condolucci acknowledged his dad's criminal record, including his sex offenses. Joe said he was especially torn up by his sister's recent claims that their dad had sexually abused her. He said that he knew that their childhood was chaotic, but his dad had gotten crosswise with motorcycle gangs from his days as an informant working with federal agents. Hmm. Family moved all over the nation as his dad tried to hide and survive. Really? This Joe kid, which this type of abuse sometimes can be generational. I'm not putting that on this dude or what, but he said that basically making his dad out to be a victim of his circumstances. And that's just absolutely bullshit. Otherwise, that's the conclusion of that. He's not going to fight the charge. He doesn't want to go to trial. He played no contest. I don't know what the sentence on that is, but I hope he's doing okay. Here we are. Ready to read the mail? Send all of your mail and your crazy stories to fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. This week, we've got a really sick and twisted story, and I thought it was really funny, so I thought I'd share it. You can see link below for other weird stories like this that just so happen to be pretty true. And this is the kind of stuff that I'm looking for in the mailbag, guys. So if you have something hilariously wonderful or hilariously disgusting, send it over. Um, And I'm talking about anything, any subject matter. You want to share it? Send it to fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Preferably looking for monsters, but I'll take human monsters too. So Maximus32 writes, It wasn't quite in public, but I was witness to an outlandish event in a dorm room my freshman year of college. Actually, it wasn't quite outlandish either. I would probably describe it as horrific because I was in fact horrified, but I digress. So it was early on a Friday night, and like good college students, my buddies and I were all standing around a cramped dorm room pre-partying, aka standing around drinking natty ice and taking shots of whatever cheap hundred-proof liquor the hobo who bought for us managed to grab. Anyway, I know it's early, probably eight-ish, because... None of us were even remotely drunk when we heard a loud banging on the door. Boom, boom, boom. 
Now, mind you, none of us are of legal drinking age, so this Gestapo-like knock makes all of us freeze, all in unison, mouthing, fuck, because naturally we think it's an RA. As we begin scrambling to hide all the bottles and cans, quietly, I'm sure, the guy nearest to the door slowly leans over and peers through the peephole. In frozen horror, we watch the back of the door guy's head waiting for a reaction signal. After only a brief moment, he guffaws, backs up, and begins to pull the door open. With the door barely cracked, it gets shoved into door guy and and in stumbles arguably one of the hottest girls in our dorm building. The rest of us, not really sure what to do and still decompressing from our fright, just stand there. I'm sure with open mouths. Note, none of us were friends with her, just met her through others. So hot girl comes in, T-Rexin like a boss, drunkenly trying to get past door guy into the room. Meanwhile, poor door guy, who's a big dude, is laboring to let her by without following, falling over. As she drunkenly tries to squeeze past, she grabs a handful of clothes hanging in the closet next to the door, breaking the closet rod and essentially pulling down the entire closet storage structure thingy. With the entire closet spewed all over the floor, Hot Girl lurches past me and grabs a little garbage bin, dumping it out and setting it back down right in the middle of all of us guys, still unmoving, still open mouthed, still staring at this drunken rage monster. Here's where the horrifying part begins. Without hesitating for a moment, Hot Girl pulls down her jeans and squats on the bin. Now at this point, we all begin dying of laughter, possibly the hardest I've ever laughed, and being like, bah, what the fuck are you doing? You're pissing in the garbage. Hot Girl is unconvinced, looking angry and annoyed as she begins drunkenly screeching at us to quit being perverts and quit watching her. This scene goes on for maybe 30 seconds. Meanwhile, I have actually fallen to my knees, laughing so hard my eyes are watering. It was in that teary-eyed moment when I first remember hearing a certain sound just a few feet to the left of my head, a sound which I can still clearly recall to this day. It was the sound of a muffled, low-pitched machine gun. Blup, 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 blup. Hot Girl has begun to shit in the garbage bin. (laughs) Obviously mortified, we all immediately jump back and resume our open mouth gaping. The blup blups trail off into some nasty, getting very fast, fast, last bit out, fart shitting noises. Think Harry and Dumb and Dumber. Followed by her finally finishing in a deep space cricket chirping, chirping silence. In probably the most miraculous drunk to sober turnaround I've ever seen, Hot Girl, without saying anything and without wiping, slowly stands up, pulls up her pants, and calmly walks out of the room, leaving us all in utter shock. That is an absolute what-the-fuck moment. I wonder where she is today. Don't forget to send your mail, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. The weekly topic this week is a kind of a dark subject, but I think it's really important. We're going to talk about adrenochrome. According to Conspiracy Fandom Wiki, adrenochrome is a chemical compound with the molecular formula. There's nine carbons, nine hydrogens, and one nitrogen and three oxygens. It is produced by the oxidation of adrenaline, which is epinephrine. The natural enzymes of blood which oxidize epinephrine to adrenochrome are not well characterized. Babies and young children produce very high blood oxidation. The facts according to Abram Hoffer of Psychiatric Services Branch Department of Public Health at the University of Saskatchewan, he says, Chemically, adrenochrome and adrenalutin are very reactive substances. Some of the changes produced by adrenochrome may persist several days, and in some cases, the effects lead to nearly disastrous results. 
The changes in thinking induced by adrenochrome are similar to those observed in schizophrenia. Adrenochrome causes an elective inhibition of the process, which determines the content of associative thinking. This occurs in doses that do not heighten the ability of basic processes, do not reduce excitation, and do not lose temporary connections, as is the case with LSD. These are some facts to consider before we get into the conspiracies. One, adrenochrome produces naturally through the oxidation of adrenaline. And two, adrenochrome does not reduce excitation and does not lose temporary connections. Given the above facts, it says it can be deduced that one, adrenochrome occurs naturally. Two, it's a chemical process in relation to adrenaline. Three, if excitation can be defined as terror, fear, fear sexual climax, then by Adrenochrome not reducing excitation suggests in conspiracy that there is a desire for prolonged excitation. And four, with adrenochrome not losing temporary connections as with LSD, suggesting in conspiracy that there's a desire for prolonged side effects. According to Michael Topper in his book, The Good, the Bad, and What Curls Up Under a Rock, he says a very potent extract of the excitatory processes is adrenochrome, which in minutes amounts to pack a terrific jolt Microscopic quantities of the live substance directly ingested can be fatal to humans, but the alien consciousness gets off on it. The more the better. Adrenochrome is generated through the psychic pattern of terror principally and as extract can only be catalytically effective when obtained from a still living subject. You don't get a whole lot of information from this. Now, I'm sure you guys have heard all the crazy stories about it. So what we know so far is that this is a drug that is produced inside of our bodies when we get... Our adrenaline starts rushing and we get really excited or fearful and that it is used to make a narcotic, a drug for people. And it's really freaking expensive and you can find it online. It's pretty crazy, right? The second source is an MSN News article about a Dr. Phil show. And it's a woman claiming missing daughter was tortured for the drug adrenochrome. It says that Sherry said that she had devoted her life to searching for her daughter, Jessie Grace, who's been missing from Wenatchee, Washington, since June 20th, 2016. She claims she has even infiltrated gangs to learn new information. She says her investigation revealed that all this was linked to a ritual. She believes that Jessie was tortured for the drug adrenochrome. Adrenochrome is a chemical that our body produces when we are extremely fearful or have a lot of distress. It gives you strength, gives you vitality, and the people that killed Jesse are harvesting that from other people. And there's an art, there is a video attached when she talks about her theories. The Wenatchee police botched the investigation. Also says if you have any information of her missing daughter, contact the Wenatchee Police Department at 509-663-9911. Through this woman's research, she has discovered that there's these certain dates throughout the year. They're, they're special. And she believes that her daughter had been drugged by people for close to a year before she was actually taken. And that she was actually killed on June 20th, 2016. And it is correlated with the summer solstice. Her daughter, on the other hand, thinks that her mom is, you know really going down the wrong road and that it's not she that it's not totally true so anyways it's totally disputed but this woman wholeheartedly believes that this is what has happened to her daughter 
She correlates more missing people go missing on certain times of the year that are around these particular holidays. They, they would possibly very um, meaningful dates in uh, pagan ritual. Mom often makes comments about, you know, I know I sound crazy, but... Now, we've all been there. We've all said, you know, to our friends while we're trying to tell them something, I know this sounds really crazy, but blah, 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 blah. So the mom was tipped off by a gang member saying that they had video of her being, um, her daughter being tortured and killed and that the Wenatchee Police Department actually have a video of, of this or a snippet of this video and they are protecting the people that took her. I obviously did not watch the entire episode, but I did get enough to see what Dr. Phil's response was and what the statement from the Wenatchee Police Department was. And the police department claims that they'd never heard of adrenochrome and that they do not have any cult activity in their area. The next source is pretty interesting. It is a worldundercover.webs.com. It is titled, What They Don't Want You to Know. Now, it's really, really long, and there are a ton of links, but I'm going to briefly go over it. It's a great resource. You'll see it linked below. It does give you a disclaimer that it is very, very graphic and it's not for the faint of heart. So here's your uh, disclaimer right now that if you have any kids listening, you might want to turn it off or turn it off yourself if you don't want to hear it. So this is what it says. Adrenochrome is real and adrenochrome is not a joke. Mainstream propagandists always try to tell people that only synthetically produced adrenochrome is produced for the medical sector in Western society, but in fact there is a large underground and mostly publicly unknown about demand in the elite sector. Adrenochrome is very expensive. For pure formed adrenochrome form human victims, the reason I say victim is because the person being harvested from is killed in the process because once the adrenaline is oxidized into adrenochrome, they die. The fact will be explained in much more detail below. Also note that real adrenochrome come from live victim is originally primarily sourced from occult Satanist groups. Now this is a whole manufacturing market. The research in cardiology shows that adrenaline is very readily oxidized into adrenochrome. Adrenochrome is toxic to myocardial tissue, which is heart muscle tissue and may be responsible for fibrillation and sudden death under stress. Myocardial tissue is very high in the enzyme, which oxidizes adrenaline into adrenochrome. Cocaine blocks two of the enzyme systems in the body normally used to destroy adrenaline, thus forcing more of it into the adrenochrome pathway. Is this the explanation for sudden death associated with cocaine abuse? The neurological study suggests that dopachrome, the oxidized derivative of L-DOPA, is responsible for some of the degenerative changes in the brain. This is citing a scientific paper that point out that the cerebral cortical areas rich in catecholamines are prone to age-related neuronal loss. Brainstem areas containing high concentrations of dopamine and noradrenaline exhibit significant neuron loss with aging. These patients also risk developing psychotic symptoms since dopachrome is like adrenochrome. So what exactly is adrenochrome? In scientific terms, it's a chemical that is produced in the human body when adrenaline oxidizes. How is the chemical extracted? The potential victim is terrorized, thus increasing the amount of adrenaline that's flowing through the body, and then killed, the adrenochrome is collected with a needle and syringe from the base of the back of their neck and spinal column. Once collected, the chemical can be sold on the black market for very exorbitant prices. A lot of people will say that this, this harvesting in children is not real, but this claims that it is. 
it goes into where have all these missing children gone? And why do these secret elite occult cults have so many names? It gets into several detailed aspects. And I suggest you go look at this source because it's pretty interesting. There is Australian elite occult child abuse survivor named Fiona Barnett who tells her story. She goes over the memories that she has. We're not going to do that here. There's also a documentary, Jew Ritual Blood Libel Sacrifice is Adrenochrome Harvesting. So we've never talked about Pizzagate or Comet Ping Pong or any of that stuff. And we're going to skip through that today. We should probably make mention of the crisis in Haiti and the natural disaster. And when we came in and the, the Clinton Foundation came in and raised a bunch of money to bring relief to the Haitians. And those people never saw any of that money. In fact, there were children that were being taken. And one of the people that worked for the Clinton Foundation was arrested for kidnapping a bunch of children. All these people are connected. And all of these people are connected to the adrenochrome conspiracy. There are a ton of scientific papers on the effects of adrenochrome in all different types of tissues and animals. You guys can go check that out, but if you're going to like try to look for the information that we're talking about here, you're definitely not going to find it. According to an article, centralmatrixwordpress.com, titled Adrenochrome, the Drug of the New World Order, a very nicely articulates about what science tells us about it. And it says that in the shorter studies in the 50s and 60s reported the psychotic effects of adrenochrome, such as mental confusion, drastic changes in perception, and intense euphoria. Researchers Abram Hoffer and Humphrey Osmond stated that adrenochrome is a neurotoxic substance and it, it induces psychotic states having an important role on the involvement of schizophrenia and other mental disorders. This article says that they believe that in modern times, adrenochrome has gained popularity through the writer Aldous Huxley in The Doors of Perception, in which he describes this substance as a compound derived from adrenaline that can cause effects similar to those observed in cases of mescaline poisoning. It is known, both from the knowledge bequeathed by ancient cults such as the Candoble, for example, and from reports from other cultures that vital force that flows through the blood of a sacrifice victim is extremely pleasing to certain astral entities. It is said in Candoble that the Orisha rejects the blood from an animal that has suffered. For a less enlightened entity, the good goatling must not scream. But why should the lords of life care about the blood of an animal, or even the strength contained within it? According to their followers, they are already full of wealth. Why do they feed themselves on this offered blood as a tribute? If they, are all, if they are already owners of everything. These are always uncomfortable questions which many avoid to answer. The fact is that the entities that use human beings as vehicles need this blood of immolated victims, whether irrational or human, in order to have power, maintain their vitality, and sustain their manifestation with the warm physical bodies of human beings. This is why I always hit the key that the astral entities, spirits, orishas, issues, gnomes, etc., are nothing more than reptilian beings using the human race as cattle to be fattened and slaughtered. We are a self-sustaining cultivation of vital energy to assure them dominion over the beings of the third dimension from the fourth. He goes on to say that he, he already explained on another occasion the current human being is but a biological robot, a hybrid of reptile and primate who had his own DNA turned into controllable garbage. We are just cattle. 
in the purest meaning of the word. Food being aimed bay laughters made clowns at planetary circus. This is what we have become. Amid the most remote antiquity, human sacrifices have been practiced to obtain the adrenochrome from blood spilled through the section of the jugular vein. Among the Mayans of Central America, for example, adrenochrome was known as shule. The Mayas used to perform human sacrifices to the gods. When victims were usually imprisoned by kings and warriors who were burned alive, skinned, decapitated, buried alive, or had their hearts yet beating plucked through an incision on the left side of the chest. Celtic druids also performed human sacrifices, usually by chest or neck incision, to offer the blood of life to their gods. Pierre Verger, the best-known chronicler specialized in African traditions in Brazil, reported how the oros of victims offered to the elegba, known as the orisha ishu, were made. The product is extracted from the base of the neck or from blood which is served to entities attached to the bodies of priests and other human vehicles. The more terror and fear that is imposed on the victim, the more the blood will produce the gold of the vampiric entities, the kind of elixir of the long life for the alien reptiles. The greater the suffering and pain, the more the body is flooded with adrenaline and therefore its byproducts. Reptilians do not seek to impose terror for itself, since we don't serve them for absolutely anything, not even our suffering, apart from providing a drug that brings them vitality, proper temperature to remain present in the third dimension for longer, and of course, the erotic pleasure of reaffirming its power. So they do not feel happy to see a child being raped, beaten, tortured, and beheaded. For them, what matters is the drug that this process provides them. This, to them, is a sign of status. It is somewhat of a uh, valuable gold, it says. They go on to say, and everything always boils down to the reptilians, unfortunately, because that's scary, but nevertheless, that our human race is hybrid and has inherited in its genetic composition radical elements from the reptilian race. They have controlled for millions of years the evolution of almost all living species on this planet, especially of the human subspecies. And human society at its top is controlled by non-human individuals. So he gives some suggestions on how to get rid of these guys. It says to talk less, listen, and work more, calmly and silently. Discipline sleep. Avoid waking at dawn and too much leisure. Avoid the consumption of alcoholic drinks, carbonated drinks, and coffee, giving preference to pure water and leaf teas harvested on the same day. If you are male, contain ejaculation as much as you can. Avoid the waste of semen through casual sex without effective bonds or recurrent masturbation. If you are female, do not have sex during menstruation. Also avoid masturbation. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And then last, do not feed your fear. Always act in accordance with your consciousness and avoid the stress caused by everlasting doubts, which I totally agree with that. I'm not too sure, so sure about the above stuff but this is really universal conspiracy and the guy that wrote this is pure julio a blogger amateur writer father of one he was originally catholic but he is gnostic and i thought that was pretty interesting so i wanted to see what the other side was saying and i got into an article called debunked the conspiracy theories around the so-called hollywood drug adrenochrome 
It says that this started from the Pizzagate theory in 2016. And it says even though Pizzagate was debunked, which is not true, they say it was, but it actually wasn't, that through this evolution, the harvesting of adrenochrome from children in the trafficking ring had been introduced. That adrenochrome is a Hollywood drug, and that was taken as, it says, sometimes taken as part of a satanic ritual. I would say maybe all the time. It says even though those making claims about how it is actually extracted or the method of taking the drug. Well, that's not necessarily true because everybody really talks about that it's extracted at the base of the skull and that the method of the taking the drug is usually oral. They go through, does, the, does it actually exist? Well, we all know it exists, but this is what they say. Adrenochrome is not completely made up. It's a chemical compound that is produced by the oxidation of adrenaline. It says that it can be used to slow blood loss by promoting blood clotting clotting and open wounds, and that most sellers state its source is synthetic. It gives mention to Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and how they used it in the movie. They make a comment. In the story, the character Dr. Gonzo says there's only one source of the drug, the adrenaline glands from a human living body. And he says, it's not good if you get it out of a corpse. In the novel, A Clockwork Orange, there's also mention of Drenchrome as an addition to the cocktail Maloka Plus. It goes on to say there's no evidence that this is widely used by celebrities. And there's no evidence that it's harv- harvested from children. And there's no evidence of any link between adrenochrome and celebrities contracting the coronavirus. A bunch of false news. It says to stop, think, and check. Look at where it's coming from. Is it someone you know? Do they have a source for the information? it just they're getting it off the internet secondly get the whole story not just the headline a lot of these messages have vague information finally it says see how you feel after reading it a lot of these false messages are designed to make people feel panicked they're deliberately manipulating their feelings to make you more likely to share it if you feel panicked after reading something check it out and see if it's really true so they didn't actually debunk it they basically just told us like what people are saying And then they kind of gaslight you a little bit at the end. To wrap up this weekly topic, because it's not my favorite topic to talk about. It actually really, really freaking grosses me out. But I wanted to talk about a YouTube video with a girl. And she talks about this place that she had been taken to several times through her childhood. In which she witnessed all kinds of horrific things. And it's in Texas. And she called it Uncle Sam's Snuff Factory and that it was underground and that she had witnessed um, children being tortured and murdered in front of her, people doing a bunch of really sick stuff, right? Well, in this article, it says that Uncle Sam's Snuff Factory really does exist. It's in Central Texas and it sounds very busy. Ordering and eating colored children from a menu in America. Dear God, help the American children. There is a child snuff industry. The survivor speaks out. The video is attached. There's a lot of people that have gone after this girl and saying that, you know, she's a liar and that she's looking for attention. And I really just don't see it. I mean, judge for yourself. We're all going to do that. The girl, she witnessed thousands of children being murdered in this place. And I don't know how she's still roaming around, but she seems to be blowing the whistle on that. I try to be as open-minded as possible and as trusting as I possibly can, but there are times in which I'm skeptical and I do think, well, maybe maybe they are telling a lie or maybe they are fabricating this whole thing. But more likely than not, 
that she does have some insight into some really seriously scary stuff going on because she's not the only one that's come forward to talk about this. There have been countless of people that have come forward saying they have witnessed and participated in exactly this. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of something to think about. Think about the the missing children, the human trafficking, the satanic ritual abuse, the reptilian agenda. All of these things are connected. In our guest spot reigns supreme Mr. Holistic. You have to go check out his Instagram. He does videos almost on the daily. I don't know how this dude does it, but he is a force and he's got a lot of really great content. I want you to go look him up. And the podcast, Into the River, is up and it's on fire. You can check me out over there speaking with Ashley. It was a really great time. She is definitely a force to be reckoned with as well. And I would appreciate it if you go over there and follow her at AshleyJoe111 Instagram and at Into the River. Go check it out. It's a good talk. To counter all that really negative news, we're going to talk about something fantastic that's going to make you feel a lot better in Inward Survival School of Magic. First, did you know that there were a ton of health benefits for singing? I really love to sing out loud. In fact, I I read this book about, I think it was a Japanese opera singer. I do not remember her name, but I do remember what her message was. And that because of just the way that we are culturally, we are shallow breathers. We live in a really anxious state all the time. We're constantly living in stress. And so we don't take that opportunity to fully expand our lower lung and utilize our diaphragm. So when you sing, you actually, you do, you get this feeling of euphoria when you're singing. And I love it. Even though I sound terrible, I've always loved it. So there are 15 amazing health benefits to singing. And we can just cut out the rest of the title of this article because I just, I just can't even anymore. But (laughs) we're going to go through the list of things they say. One, singing lowers your blood pressure. It's because it acts as a relaxant that helps people calm down. Singing is known to help patients with Parkinson's disease. It it improves their vocal control as well as swallowing, and it improves their balance. Singing helps boost your immune system. It lowers your stress levels. Stress levels go down, your immune system improves. Singing is a valid form of workout. It says not only do your vocal muscles get a workout, your face muscles also get a workout. It makes you look more energetic and lively. Who doesn't want that? And some believe that it can improve your overall aerobic capacity and stamina. So it can be considered a workout. Singing helps improve your lung health. Well, duh, it allows you to utilize your entire lung and helps you practice your breathing. Singing helps with your posture. It fixes your posture because you need to stand correctly in order to maximize your breathing capacity. And so over time... Your posture improves. We all want to do that too. Singing helps with your sleep. Research says singing helps strengthen throat and palate muscles, eliminating snoring as well as improving sleep apnea. Singing increases your life expectancy. According to a study from Harvard, 
The health benefits from singing increases your life expectancy because it boosts your immune system and your general physical health. And it can also help boost your mental health. Singing improves your cognitive function and memory. So people, when, you, when you're memorizing lyrics and you're utilizing your brain, you're doing functional exercises in which improves your, your neuroplasticity of sorts. There are mental benefits. It helps you achieve a more confident and positive lifestyle. Singing releases endorphins and oxytocin so that the feel-good chemicals start flowing. Singing increases your empathy. The study shows that by joining and singing with members, your heart rate begins to sync together like the beat of the music, improving awareness towards others. It also brings people closer together. It's a shared experience. That's a powerful thing. Singing can boost your confidence. We said that already. And singing helps improve your communication skills. Singing helps you widen your friend group. And that's it. So I guess it's like they you know, they could have simplified that list a lot better. But there's a hell of a lot of benefits to singing. So turn on some music. Bust out some lyrics like you used to back in the 80s with the old tape deck. And you had all the lyrics. What? That was awesome. Next... I got a bunch for you this time. I linked below two websites. One is Resilience and Prevention. There are exercises you can do. And then uclahealth.org. They've got some mindful meditations. Totally free. You just get on there and you listen. And there's all kinds of things that you can do. Some of those things we're going to talk about now with this Berkeley article about compassion. Compassion is a very... A very important emotion. It literally means to suffer together. It is defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another person's suffering and you feel motivated to relieve that suffering. It's not the same as empathy or altruism, though they are related. Empathy refers more generally to our ability to, to take the perspective of and feel the emotions. And compassion is when those feelings and thoughts include the desire to help. Altruism is a kind selfless behavior often prompted by feelings of compassion though one can feel compassion without acting on it and altruism isn't always motivated by compassion scientists have started to map the biological basis of compassion suggesting its deep evolutionary purpose this research has shown that when we feel compassion our heart rate slows down we secrete bonding hormone oxytocin and regions of the brain linked to empathy caregiving and feelings of pleasure light up which often results in our wanting to approach and care for other people. There are several compassion-focused therapy training exercises and worksheets in another link below. It is considered a vital quality, and it is now its own therapy. It's called compassion-focused therapy. This emphasizes the importance of applying compassion for yourself, for your loved ones, and for strangers, and for living a healthy and happy life. Oh, this is, they are considering this an evidence-based form of psychotherapy, drawing upon our evolved capacity for compassion to facilitate the alleviation of human suffering. I think it's brilliant. I think it's beautiful. There are three distinctive features of compassion-focused therapy. There is a, a marriage of sorts of the Western and Eastern philosophies, and it ranges on the disciplines of including evolutionary psychology, biology, and neuroscience, but as well as Buddhist thought. That's incredible. 
It also takes an interactional view of the mind. This view is that the mind is organized in a way that some mentalities can be neglected while others flourish or take control, and that harmful or maladaptive links can be made. And on the flip side, improving one's mentality or making new links can have significant impacts on others. There's a lot of people who are sick, spiritually sick, and if compassion-based therapy can help them, it can improve everybody's lives because how many of us suffer when we see people that we love suffering? And then the, the, also the idea of social mentalities by Gilbert from 2010. He identified a set of social mentalities that enable people to seek out and form certain types of relationships. Example, sexual, tribal, dominant, subordinate, caring of, caring for. There's, here goes our codependency and the reasoning why we seek out harmful situations, which I can totally relate to that. 10 compassion-focused therapy exercises. See the PDFs below, but you've got number one, soothing, rhythm, breathing. We've talked about breath work before. Two, simple body scan and relaxation. I think we've talked about this before too. It's when you kind of just scan your body with your mind and your subconscious thought and see what pops up because you would be surprised at how your body would communicate with you. Three, create a safe space. This is using breath work and pretty much using your mental mind power and mindfulness practices to create yourself. You could you could build a fort around you. You could build a castle around you. You can build a Merkaba around you. You can manifest whatever you want to put around you to make you feel safe. Number four, compassionate colors. You can imagine colors that you associate with these certain emotions and feelings. Play with that. Number five, the compassionate self. This is developing self-compassion focusing on your desires to become a compassionate person and to imagine yourself with these qualities and what it would be like. Six, compassion flowing out. You want to sit somewhere and focus on the desire to help someone or something. It can be a person or an animal. And use your intentions and feel compassion towards this person or being. And then you would imagine yourself expanding and, you know, pushing that force towards them to be helpful. Number seven, focusing on the compassionate self on others. This kind of seems like the same thing, but also, you know, using, using language to um, express basic feelings and thoughts. May you be well, may you be happy, may you be free of suffering. Those kind of things. Number eight, compassion flowing into oneself, using your memory. Play around with postures and facial expressions. Be gentle. Think about times when people were kind to you. Not when you're just in distress, but just, you know, normal circumstances in which somebody had been kind to you. And think about the expressions of the person who was kind to you and mimic them in a way. Recall a memory and focus on important sensory qualities of that memory. It's like what their face looked like, the emotion of the person, your emotion, the entire experience. Number nine, focusing on the compassionate self on yourself. Yeah, think about your troubled self. Think about yourself as a child. We've all, we know, know this exercise. Let's move on. Creating a compassionate ideal. These are all strategies to, to cope and to heal and to improve life and to develop a self-love because there's a lot of people out there that just uh, 
don't really love themselves very much and we want to help that. The Stoic Thought of the Week goes to David Wilcock. He said, Each of us is here to build houses, one brick at a time. Every time we think a loving thought or do a good thing for someone, we add another brick to the wall. Every time we have a hateful thought or hurt someone, we take a brick away. In fact, we have suffered under a variety of illusions about who and what we are that have kept us trapped in a prison of materialistic thought. And the goal of the creator is for each entity to make a conscious choice to again seek oneness out of our own free will, not because anyone else forced us to. If we are told what to do and what to believe, then we have learned nothing and will not make any progress. Perhaps the single most basic realization is to, to make is that we live in a loving universe. If we are all one being, then it is foolish for us to hate anyone as we are only hating ourselves. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>